0: All right, Psalm 4, I want to read it to you. The chief musician with strings instruments, a Psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn, to my, turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart uh, on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the seasons that their, their grain and wine I- increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Well, as you know, life is full of surprises. And many of us know that things can change in life on a moment's notice, sometimes quite badly. Psalm 4 is about such a time, we, we don't know the absolute circumstances. It could be tied to Psalm 3, where we know some of the problems that are going on there with David and his son. And it seems to be a people problem, and David is learning through it, but he is also counseling people through it. And so the title of our message tonight is, When the World Suddenly Changes. When the world suddenly changes. What David is learning is how to think, how to react, how to grow in faith and trust, and trust God more in the unexpected events of life. Now this is important because as we learn this, we learn to trust in God's fatherly care and what we do is, as we learn about his fatherly care, we give our anxious hearts over to that fatherly care. There's something else very important to hear. here. There's an old expression, prayer changes things, and others would say that prayer changes us. And that's what's happening to David, or if there's another Bible writer here, we presume it to be David. Through prayer... His focus changes from anxiety to trust. His focus changes from circumstances to God. And so the psalm reading of the heading says, to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So this is both a song and a prayer. And they would use it in, in the worship at the temple. And they would be singing and praying at the same time, which a lot of our songs are that. We're Think of them that way. Think of when we're singing, and we should all sing. And think about the fact that many times we are praying, or at least, at the very least, we are offering praise to God. So verse 1 begins with David calling upon the Lord. He says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved, another version says, freed me in my distress. Have mercy on me. Another version says, be gracious to me. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Now, when I look at the Bible writers, I'm often confronted with the fact that they pray very differently than I pray, and I believe that most of us pray. This prayer is interesting. He he says at the beginning, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. You've done that in the past. Then he says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So first off, he begins with his confidence in God. And then he moves right into what? His urgency. He moves into, hear me, God, have, 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 have mercy on me, please. Hear my prayer. Note the urgency. He says, hear me when I call Uh, Most versions say, answer me when I call. We might say, help. Help me, God. Now, next, once we figure we've got God's attention, we typically move into the problem, but David puts the Lord's character first. Notice what he says. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Righteousness. Now, I think that's more than the fact that God himself is righteous, and that is true for for sure, but I think it also has to deal with David knows that God deals righteously with his people. Well, first off, let me ask you, are you one of his people? If you're not, we're glad you're with us here tonight. If you are, we're glad you're here with us tonight. But if you are one of his people, if you've put your trust in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know that God deals righteously with his people? Perhaps appealing to God as the judge of all the world who judges rightly on behalf of his children. Now, when we say that God judges rightly on behalf of his children, that does not mean that everything is always going to go the way we want it to go. It doesn't mean everything is always going to go our way. And it's very clear the Bible writers know that, and they don't pretend that things are not what they are. They're very open and honest about how things are going, and, and in that they really teach us how to pray. On the other hand, never forget that God has promised to care for His children, and we can call on Him to do that. So never feel bad about asking God to help you or to do something for you unless it's something evil or something selfish or something like that, which is against his character. And being able to call upon God to help us, that is a privilege that children of God have. And notice he says, hear me, answer me. He's basically saying, I need relief. And he says, have mercy or be gracious to me. Now, David lived about a thousand years before Jesus. What's he doing? He's doing what we read in the scripture after Jesus ascended into heaven in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4.16 says, "Therefore, Let us therefore come boldly, some versions say with confidence, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. That's exactly what David's doing here. He's a child of God coming to his heavenly Father, asking God for grace and for mercy. And see, David remembers after he he comes to the Lord and he says, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Next, he remembers God's faithfulness. He says, you have, past tense, You have relieved or freed me in my distress. It's an interesting thing. It doesn't doesn't translate so well into English, but the literal meaning of what's written here is this, is that, Lord, I'm in a narrow place and I'm asking for you to make it into a wide place. We might say, Lord, I'm jammed up. I'm jammed up here. And I need you to to free me, to to relieve what's going on. So the idea is, he says, I feel closed in. I feel trapped. I feel suffocated. Perhaps perhaps he's trapped somewhere. And he's like, "My, my movements feel restricted. Is that familiar maybe with the way some of us feel right now? We can't go here. We can't go there. We're a little sometimes uneasy about going to... Certain places. In other words, he's saying to God, In the past, Lord, I have been oppressed, I have been depressed, I have been distressed before you, God, and you came through for me. So now I'm coming to you again, and I'm asking you to help me again. Then he says, Lord, have mercy on me. This would be something that would be said of someone who is absolutely desperate and realizes there's nothing that they can do to change the situation. Totally out of their hands. And some versions say gracious, and I think in this context, gracious might be a better translation in the sense that David is coming to God saying, I need something that I may not deserve, but that's what grace is. I'm I'm asking you for that. I'm asking you for some relief. And this is how many of the Bible writers pray. They're they're open. They're honest. they, They lay the situation out before the Lord, not like he doesn't know, but they ask him for his help, remembering the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, and then appealing to God for his goodness, for his righteousness. You see, this is a big difference, I think, between our prayers and the Bible writer's prayers. And these prayers are in the Bible to teach us how to pray. When the Bible writers pray, they focus a lot more on God than we do we tend to focus on what? The problem, the need. And and like the Bible writers would say to us, listen, you can get to that, but turn your focus to God first. Turn your focus to God's character first. By doing so, um, it it seems like a lot of times the Bible writers kind of realize Before other people, they might appear to be righteous, but before God, they're really not. And they're very honest with God about about who they are. Yet another thing I love about the way the Bible writers pray, and this is a little edgy. Those of you who like edgy stuff, this is kind of edgy. I find sometimes the Bible writers, when they pray, they can be borderline demanding. (laughs) They're not, they're not like, oh dear God. They're not a lot at all. They're just like, hey, hey, you're, you're great, you're wonderful. You've helped me in the past. Help me again. They are they are they are confident in their relationship with God that they can be kind of like a pest, kind of like demanding, pay, praying with with real, you know, fervency. I love that kind of praying. Like, you know, we, we think of how we pray sometimes for God to move in a certain way and, and move in a community or move in a, a country or something like that. And, and, and these guys, we're like, oh, God, you know, please do this. And God is like, these, the Bible writer's are like, no, God, you got to do this, man. We're telling you, man, you've you got to do this. And that seems to allow them to hold on in faith. Because if you notice, a lot of the Bible writers Get in it pretty deep, and and so you can't you can't knock their way of praying by by focusing on God first, letting them know the situation, and again being borderline demanding in the midst of their great difficulty, their trouble, their heartache, and their confusion. It's all this. They go through all of the same stuff that we do. It's just a lot of times the way they approach God is very different. The Bible writers also show us that it is much more important and empowering, and we're going to see this in David in what he talks about next, to speak to God before we speak to people. Now, a lot of us would say, oh, I know that, I know that, but we don't do that. That will produce in us. If we do that, if we speak to God first, before we speak to people, that will produce in us a divine boldness. Now, not a divine obnoxiousness. There's, there's really no such thing as a divine obnoxiousness. There's a, there's a divine boldness, and it's the same way Jesus spoke to people. I mean, people were just, he would, I could imagine some of the things Jesus said, people like, did he just say that? Yes, because Jesus had a divine boldness about him and that we're going to see David move into that divine boldness in verse 2. He says, "How long, O you sons of men, some versions just say O men, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame?" Some versions say my honor to shame. Now, I think he's talking about the fact that he is the king. How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Another version says, seek after lies. And then we get that word, selah. He says, take a break. So let's look at the primary question. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? So people are against him. How long are you going to do this? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? So here's an interesting thing. David not only prays about the situation, but now he counsels the people that are against him, something that followers of Jesus often encounter. If you're a follower of Jesus, and this has suddenly changed in our society, you're going to find a lot of people are against you. So you're going to need divine boldness if you're not going to wilt. Now, now, we're in a crisis now. And, and sometimes um, people are going to say stuff like this to you. Hey, where's your God? Where is he? You talk to him, don't you? And you should say, yeah, I talk to him every day, all the time. And wh- wh- where is he? When's he going to show up? Or other people might say to you, you, it seems like this whole thing we're going through as a country, the, the, the pandemic, the riots, the political situation, the unemployment, all kinds of, it, it, it's, you seem really upset, man. You seem really down. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? You're going to hear stuff like that sometimes from people. And interesting in terms of the political realm, Uh, certain biblical truths now are twisted as being unloving, even, even racist now. Yet David, having spoken to God first, is able to call these people out to repent and put their trust in the Lord. You say, where did, where do you do that? Well, how, how long, O oh sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? You need to repent. You need to repent. How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? You need to trust in God, not in falsehood. Selah, stop. Think about that. Now, who are these men? Again, the language doesn't translate totally well, but the language appears to be that they are Prominent citizens, perhaps wealthy people, perhaps po- powerful politicians or those in the religious order, which were the politicians of the day in many cases. They scoff at David, who is the king. And today we know that, that people scoff at the king and deny his glory. And I mean King Jesus. Well, it's still the same thing today today. And it's amazing how fast that has all happened. It's like the Internet came and people just said, oh, I'm going to drop Jesus. That's it. I'm done. Today, politicians and media have most of our country in a knot. Instead of doing the right thing, bringing peace and bringing clarity, In David's own day, his very own son denied the authority and position that God had given to his father. That's what I think David's talking about. Will you turn my glory and honor to shame? Now, of course, it's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of what you may go through. But ultimately here, it's it's David, as they would have understood it reading it, David's saying, you know, listen, son, I don't know why God picked me. But he's given me this position and this authority. And so what did did Absalom do? His son Absalom, what did he do? He called disciples unto himself away from the authority that God had given to his father, David. And he called disciples unto himself. David was very, very busy. Being a king is very, very busy. There's a lot to do. I think of all the stuff that I have to do, and I'm thinking, my goodness, what did a king have to do? And so Absalom hung out at the front gate and said, hey, if I was the king, I'd have time for the people. I wouldn't be so busy all the time. And and that's what Absaloms do. And and, and, And it worked. And Absalom and his band of deceived followers became traitors to the work of the Lord. It's, it is so sad to me, you know, just watching what's going on in, in our culture, and I have a, a probably a more politically driven sermon that maybe we'll do sometime in the future uh, on this very psalm. But it, it's very sad to me how, a, how such a small group of people can set the tone for an organization. It's very sad to me how such a small group of people can set the tone even for a country and how very misleading they often are. Yet David is a clear voice against the enemies of the Lord, against the enemies of Yahweh, against the enemies of the Lord's way of life. Now, here's the thing, guys. In the short term, when people are talking like this or being traitors or something like that, it, it may seem easier to give in. But is that loving to God? Is that loving to people? In the short term, yes, it might seem easier. But is it easy to live with that guilty of conscience? Is it easier in the long term? But David's methods is not out to destroy them. But what David is trying to do is he is trying to call them to the path of righteousness. I mean, he could be like, "Okay, we're just going to come after you and we're going to that's it. You know, you're dead. You're done. You see, David knows this. It's very easy for leaders to go astray. If you're a leader of any kind, boy, it's so easy for leaders to go astray. It's so easy to to fall into a a bad place or or a bad way of thinking. It's so easy to be influenced by, by the wrong people and the wrong things. And so David, what will he do? He will seek to restore their focus to the right things. And that's the right thing to do. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, long term, you stand before God. And David knows that. See, how do you do that? Well, in verse 3, we see that David knows who he is in God. And so often we keep coming back to this theme of identity. David doesn't have identity amnesia. David knows who he is. Look what he says, verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. Now, is David talking about himself? Well, he is the man after God's own heart. But we do know that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that, you know, he sets us apart for himself. So you are godly. Now, some people say godly. What what does that mean? Does that mean that you're loved by God or that you love God? Exactly. Exactly. It means both. He says, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear. Another version says, the Lord hears when I call him. Here, David reminds us all that a follower of Yahweh, a follower of the Lord Jesus, the, the God's name in the Old Testament was I am. Jesus kept saying I am, the same name. That a follower of God is is under the covenant protection of God. And David is saying, I may be the king, but understand this. I know that I belong to the king. And sadly, this type of protection that we have in our day and age, you may even need that when you're among professing Christians who look and sound more like the world than they do like the people of God. And when you act like a godly person in front of them, they resent that in coming from you. You know, I became a a follower of Jesus in the late '80s. I was about 10 years old then. That's not really true. I became a follower of Jesus in the late '80s, and there was an expression that they had back then uh, that that the the young ladies would say that they were they were looking for a mog. <laughs> and uh, and a mog is a man of God. And um, you know, that, was, that meant a lot if you were considered to be a man of God or a wog, a woman of God. Not so much anymore. You don't hear that kind of talk so much anymore. Um, that, even the church it doesn't seem to mean that much. Now, Now, some of you ladies are watching right now and saying, well, then how did you get Pam, Pastor Jim? I always say this to the people in the uh, in the church, when they ask me, I always say, I can be very charming when I want to be. <laughs> and, uh, but, but, you know, that's what Pam was looking for, and that's what I was looking for. Not someone who's perfect, but someone who just loved the Lord and knew that they were loved by Him. He uses the word, no. He says, but no, the Lord has set apart for Himself Him who is godly. Typically in the Bible, that word, no, is a, is a word that speaks of a very, very deep, Relationship, but it's also not just speaking of it, it is the experience of, of a deep relationship. Uh, you know, I, 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 when it's talk about knowing, I, I knew Pam the day we stepped on the altar, but not like I do now after almost 31 years of marriage, and and I. And praying the Lord would, would give me years to, to get to know her even better and, and, and to know more about her. And people say, don't you want to go home to be with the Lord? I do, but there's other things that, that I just think that there's stuff that I think the Lord wants all of us to do. Yes, I want the Lord to come back. But then again, I don't, I don't rest easy knowing that maybe some of you don't know the Lord. And you're not going to go home to be with him when he returns or or when you pass away, when you die. And so I, I, have, a, I have a dream. You know, Martin Luther King had a dream. I have a dream that the Lord will return. And, and those of you that are part of our church will be kind of up there and the Lord will say, oh, look, the Morris Hills people are here. And we will say, and look at how many people we brought with us. That's what that's what really kind of gets me out of bed in the morning a lot of days. But our country, particularly our elite universities, which have so much influence in our culture, have forgotten what they once knew about the Lord, what they once knew, um, how they started, as, as many of them as Christian universities. We were on a college tour one time, and they had over one of the doorways going into this area, I think it was into the business area, and it said, to whom much is given, much more is required. And the, and the tour guide said, yes, here's another famous quote. Someone once said, to whom much is given, much more is required. And I said to her, it was Jesus. <laughs> you know, spider mans he ripped it off. With great power comes great responsibility. And people people forget these things. To be honest, my favorite line in this psalm is when he says, the Lord has set apart for himself. You see, guys, the Lord has a special love for his children. He has a special love for the people of God. He has a special love for godly people who love him, who are in Christ He loves us in light of Christ. Remember, we learned that in abiding, that that there's a similarity between the the love that that God has for Jesus and Jesus has for us. That's you see, knowing that He has been set apart, that He's that the idea that I am someone special to God because of my faith and my trust in Him, that's how David can say, the Lord will. Hear me when I call to him. You see, David knows that the Lord will respond. David knows that God sets his people apart for fellowship, for knowing, for experiencing him. And even in the midst of this difficulty with these people, David's confidence is in that. And that's how He can be bold and he can be trusting and how he can be confident and how he can be calling out to urgency in God all at the same time. You see, friends, this is what I really want us to think about tonight. It's such a reminder to us all. Remember, they're they're being very disrespectful to David and his position. And, And if I know anything about David if he's like a lot of the people that I know that are very godly, that have some position, their idea is really, listen, I don't care whether you respect me or not, but please respect the position. Because God has ordained it and God has put me in this place. I know there could be other better choices, but that's just the way it is. David reminds us that when trouble comes, that when you're slandered or when you're mocked, it's what God thinks of you that matters. Can I say that again? Because I really want everybody to, to focus on that. When trouble comes, and you don't know why, it just came upon you suddenly or over time, you know, you, you tried your best and it just didn't work out or something like that, or, or when you're slandered or, or when you're mocked, it's what the Lord thinks of you That matters. And friend, don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly at all without a proper and confident identity in Christ and how God sees you. It will be so easy. If you don't have that straight, it will be so easy to give in, it will be so easy to just wilt. It will be so easy not to be confident in God. Now, we're still in verse 3 and David's identity. Notice here from verse 1 to verse 3, his identity has already begun to extinguish the fear and confusion of verse 1. It's it's happened this quick. Now, probably not in real time, but notice how quickly it's going for him. He's, He's like, I'm confident who I am in God. You can do what you want to me, but I know who I am. Friend, do you know who you are? Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote, Romans 8:33 through 35. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That means who, who who will bring a charge against the people that God has set apart? It is God who justifies. Listen, people can say what they want about you and your faith. It's God who knows. You have to remember that. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's praying for us. Who shall, another version says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And don't don't stop reading. Reading. Shall tribulation, we might say trouble or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or, or sword, can any of those separate us from the love of Christ? And we're supposed to go, what? No, they can't. They can't. Remember, we were studying Habakkuk. We did one of our studies called the, the thing that nobody can take from you. Nobody can take God from you. They cannot. And so David knows who he is. And and you might not think much of yourself. And people might not think much of you. But that doesn't really matter. What matters is what God thinks about. Obviously, we want people to think well of us. But but ultimately, that's not what we live for. Let me tell you a, a little story that I had read about a long time ago. And then I came across it again. There's an old story of a man who was filthy from top to bottom. He had been out working presumably in the fields all day and he was in dirty working clothes and uh, he was in Baltimore and so he went to a prestigious hotel to try and rent a room. Well, the owner gave him the once over and said to him, figured to himself, he's not worthy of my hotel. Uh, This is a prestigious hotel. I don't want this kind of riffraff in my hotel. And said to him, sir, I'm sorry, but we have no room for you here. He did, but but not for that man. And so the man left. A little while later, one of his friends, the hotel owner's friends, came rushing into the hotel and said to him, Is it true? And he goes, what do you mean is it true? And his friend goes, what in the world were you thinking? You turned away from renting a room to Thomas Jefferson, the vice president of the United States? You see, Thomas Jefferson might might have been a dirty farmer, but he was also the vice president. You, Christian, might not think that much of yourself. Others might not think that much of you, but you are a child of the king. You are an adopted son and daughter, and you have a reservation, a room set aside for you in the most prestigious place in the entire galaxy and galaxies and unseen world. In the abode of God. So now, verse 4 and 5, it turns. David turns to another group. You could say he's still talking to the enemies, but I think he's talking to a group of people that are angry about what's going on. That David, you were treated so unfairly. This could be you. Maybe you don't like what's going on in this world. He says this, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Some of you are like, that sounds very familiar to me. The Apostle Paul, he ripped it off from David in Ephesians 4, 6. Now, he didn't rip it off. He was a Bible guy. I always say, people say to me, You walk out of the message, they go, oh, man, that, that, Pastor Jim, thank you so much. I'm like, I'm just ripping off the word, man. I'm not doing anything. I'm just doing my best to understand it, and just telling you what it says. When we're going through Matthew's gospel, I'm like, I'm just ripping off Jesus, man. No. Thank him. Get in your car and thank him if there's any spiritual benefit brought to you. And so he says, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Take a breath. Wait on the Lord. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So here, maybe you're like David or the people that are with David. The world is seemingly spinning out of control. And at the very least, you might say, my head is spinning out of control. David says this, I think. Paul takes it a little further, but we're going to stick within David tonight. Be angry. That's okay. Be angry. He says, be angry. And do not sin. That's the hard part. That's the hard part. So how do you do that? How do you do that? The answer is right here in the verse. He tells us at the end of verse four, meditate within your heart on your bed, and be still. We might say like this, get away, think about it, pray about it, and keep quiet. (laughs) Be angry, he might be saying to us, be angry, and keep your mouth buttoned. Button your lips," my mother used to say to me, and keep quiet, be still, until you calm down, until you have more of a sense of peace. Psalm 14.1, very famous verse says this: "The fool has said or says in his heart, there is no God." Sometimes, um, we. Followers of Jesus do that. Sometimes in our heart, and Jesus said, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes out of our heart comes words that show us to be the fool that says there is no God. At that moment, we're acting like un- unbelieving believers. Now, literally, when it says be angry and do not sin, literally it means tremble and do not sin. In other words, tremble before God. If you tremble before God, then you'll be less prone to sin. You see, it's always important to remember God's sovereignty, that He is in control of the planet, if you will, and the the universe, that nothing that happens in our lives, nothing that happens in our country surprises God. He knows what's coming. So David says this. Listen, when, when, when you're outraged by certain things, go home, bring it before God, get your head on straight. And this is the hard one. And don't rebel against God's sovereignty, even if you don't like it. It doesn't mean you can't ask for God to change it. But, but know that he's in control. I hear a lot of people, a lot of, lot of stuff, people talking about the election we have coming up, 70-something days now. Talk to each other about it. That's fine. But you better be talking to God about it. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but, but talk to God about it. Who is the candidate that, that we see a better chance of righteousness prevailing in our land. Because I'm going to tell you, the last thing we want God to do is turn his back on this country. That is the, that is the very last thing. We don't want God to be like, well, I left the United States because they didn't want me anymore. This anger here is a righteous anger. What's happening to David is wrong. These people are angry about what's happening to David. But we have to be careful not to be unrighteous in our response. That's what he means. Be angry. That's righteous. There's a righteous anger. But do not sin. Do not be unrighteous in your response. There's one of the organizations that we support here, International Justice Mission, and and I get different stuff from them. And I tell you, I read this stuff about sex trafficking. And, oh, my goodness, I mean, I'm just, um, I'm angry. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do with it. And the Lord is like, you should be angry, Jim. You should be. You should be. There's a place for righteous anger. You know, here's the thing. What, what, it, what if David is talking to the opposition, the unfaithful? Same thing. You can be angry about what's going on. Come to me, talk to me, but don't sin. Don't get swept away in the politics. Don't get swept away in the mob mentality. Stop and think about what you are saying and what you're doing. I guess we all have to ask ourselves, what, what keeps us awake at night? And ask ourselves, is it righteous? He says, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Is what I'm thinking about, is it righteous? Why is this important? Whether he's talking to believers or unbelievers, if it's not, you will find yourself fighting against God. And here's the thing. You will lose. One time, a brother early on in the church had a, you know, substance abuse problems, and he, he met me at the door on the way out. And uh, I said to him, uh, You know, there's only one difference between you and me, really. And he said, What's that? And I said, Well, I don't fight against God because I know I can't win. You still have a little bit of hope that you can. And you know what? He went to rehab. Because you can't win. Because if you keep fighting him and fighting him and fighting him, you know what's going to happen eventually? He's going to knock you out. God God doesn't just let let the fight go all the way to the end. If he does, that's not good. Sometimes he'll just knock you out. So what's the next step? Well, let's go back to verse 5. He says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. You see, what what David just said is easily overlooked. Easily overlooked. He said, offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, they had the temple. right? Well, they were getting ready to build the temple. They had the tabernacle. They, They did sacrifices to the Lord. And at the same time, he says, Put your trust in the Lord. So, so what, is it, what does it mean? These sacrifices are for sins. And so he says to them basically, You need to come, offer your sacrifices of righteousness. You need to come and admit to God your sin and your unbelief, and you need to turn from it. You need to repent. And then he says, at the same time, come to the altar of sacrifice to them. The, was the, the tabernacle, then the temple for us, the cross, and put your trust in the Lord. That is the simple plan of restoration. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, the way to receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life okay, is to admit your sin, turn to God, admit your sin, And put your trust in the Lord. You you, you turn to his sacrifice of righteousness. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is how you experience the loving grace of God, and this is how you are fruitful in your Christian life. And so there's another sense we get here. When he says, offer the sacrifices of righteousness, so there was prescribed sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord, we get the sense here in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it's clear as day that going through the motions of sacrifices and sacraments is completely worthless without trusting the Lord. Very important to understand that. Verse 6. He says, there are many who say, now the verb tense is, they keep on saying, who will show us any good? Now, now this is the pit of discouragement. <laughs> this is like, nothing's going right, everything's going wrong, you know, uh, terrible, you know, it's, uh, turn on the news, oh, that's bad news, flick the channel, that's really bad news, or go on the internet, bad news, bad news, it's just, it's just terrible. There are many who say, who will show us any good? And then he adds this, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Lord, there's people running around saying everything is falling apart. We need you to shine your face on us. You see, when the world suddenly changes, when the world is falling apart, In ungodly ways, it's very easy to fall into the pit of discouragement. I'm not saying we are never discouraged, but you can keep going down deeper and deeper and deeper into that pit. And and David sees it happening in people, and he's counseling them, and he's he's praying to the Lord about them. See, sometimes... when we pray that things don't get worse, they do. (laughs) That happens. And it happens for both ourselves and for others. And we need to be really careful about the way we think about things and about the way we will talk to God. Now, I'm going to tell you something that most of you do not know. Some of you know this, but most of you do not know. In the spring I was quite ill. I was I was trying to hide it from a lot of people. I didn't have covid. I it was my my neurological condition was just on fire. It was it was it was so bad. I was like, "Lord, did and did you undo anything?" People were like, "Oh man, you're really passionate." I was ready to pass out after every sermon. I would just go home and be like Pam's like, "How was church?" I was like, "Nobody was there." <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so I was quite sick. And, and so my prayers actually kind of went like this. Um, excuse me, God. Um, bad timing to, for a pastor in a pandemic. I mean, really, I, I, I gotta, I'm supposed to be there for people, and I don't even feel like I'm here. I don't even know what's going on. I was like, Lord, what, what are you doing and then when it came time for the pandemic, I was like, Lord, I mean, you 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 really you didn't tell us anything about this. I mean, you've been telling us about this, you've been preparing us for this, but this just came out of nowhere. And Lord, I know you know this, but so many people that I know were already in the pit of discouragement and were already. Completely overwhelmed. Like, like what's going on? Now, you say, why didn't you tell us you weren't feeling well? Because I was trying my best to lean on the Lord. And I didn't want you guys to worry about me. Some of you perceived it. But, but I just wanted to talk to God about it. I'm feeling considerably better now. And just pray for me that it that it, that it continues. But <laughs> now I'm so far behind in everything. It's almost it's almost comical. Uh, it's really not, because some of you are like, I emailed him three months ago, he still hasn't answered me yet. And it's not, it's it's not that. It's just that I was I was not well. So so what do you do? What do you do when you when you know things around you are just not going well for so many different people? And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, even if I was at the top of my game, it, there's nothing I could do about it for so many people. Well, you, What do you do? You, you pray similar to the way David did. He really looks like he, he took part of number six, the benediction uh, that they gave the people of God. And he says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. He just says, Lord, Lord, we need you to shine your face upon us. That was a prayer over the people of God in the tabernacle. And David takes it and makes it a prayer for the discouraged. You know, I've learned and I am continuing to learn. That there's great healing power for your soul in laying yourself aside and praying for the overwhelmed people you know that are in your life. Somehow it it just changes you. And and that confidence that you have that God is going to help them somehow turns into a confidence that you know He's going to help you. Verse 7, he says, you have put, so what is he saying? God, what I'm about to say, you've done this. So this is, this, is, this is divine help. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. Lord, you've put a gladness in my heart more than any joy of any good crop could ever bring. And that's a lot in a farming community. David says, Lord, you have put a gladness in my heart that not even all this trouble can snuff out. You have put a gladness in my heart that that is better than all the money I could ever possibly have. You see, David believes one of the most fundamental teachings of the Word of God, which is one of the most difficult things to get your arm around and experience, and like we talk about, it's an a, it's a fruit of abiding. It is it is a it is a it takes a concentrated effort. It takes daily getting into the Word of God and getting the Word of God into you. Being not like remember we said only nine percent of people are doing that right now in the United States, and just let's. Let's make sure we're at least in that 9% and try and spread the word. But the, the fundamental teaching of the word of God that he believes is this. The presence of the Lord in your life is the best that earth has to offer. The presence of the Lord in your life is the best that earth has to offer. Everything else will come out of that. This is a joy that only those who have done verse 5, only those who have turned to God and put their trust in Him can enjoy and even understand and know the Lord. Famous verse, Matthew 16, 26, For what profit? For what good is it? What's the benefit? For what profit? Is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Psalm 8 closes, he says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David can sleep because he knows that the Lord is watching over him. In the midst of the chaos you see, that's a, that's a result of his faith. That, that's a result of what, of what David has come to this place where he's like, I know, I know the Lord is watching over me. I know things are not going well in my life, but, but I'm going to trust in him. David shows us how to approach difficult situations with healthy prayerful concern. We're not saying that we're just not concerned about stuff. He has a healthy, prayerful concern and trust in the Lord. David is showing us here in the Old Testament what Peter told us we need to do in the New Testament when he was an older man, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he, the Lord, cares for you. Notice David gives all the credit to the Lord He says in verse 7, you put the gladness in my heart. And he says in verse 8, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You see, God alone is the source of David's peace, and he knows it. A few months ago, there was a peace that I had. I had a number of people telling me, one's here, and said, you're smiling all the time. (laughs) I was like... Inside I'm going to the Lord now, I'd be crying otherwise, but but you know that peace is from the Lord. And so David basically says, I hit the pillow and I'm out like a light. David's troubles are still there. But even if he were to die that night, those who trust in the Lord will wake and they will see his face. So I want to read Numbers 6, 24 through 26 to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said amen. God bless you. We love you. See you soon.